and welcome to Automators. My name is Rosemary Orchard and I am here today with David Sparks and a very special guest. Hello, David Sparks. Hello, Rosemary Orchard. How are you today? Well, uh, I, I'm I'm excited. We are going to be talking to Don McAllister today. Welcome to the show, Don. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's good, good to be here. So Don and I go back a long way. Don, I don't know how long we've been friends, but... Uh, Whoa, it's, it's, it goes back a, a very long way, yeah, yeah. Yeah, at least over 10 years now. Uh, but the, oh, at uh, least. Um, but you also are working with Rosemary these days. Rose is doing some of the videos for you over at Screencast Online. and That's right, yeah. We've just welcomed Rosemary to the fold. So, uh, yeah, she's, she's done a fantastic uh, iOS, iOS 13 deeper dive uh, show for us, and she's doing a couple more. So that's that's good. That's awesome. And the uh, the thing about Don that people don't know is that Don is a super high-level automation nerd. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, and he brings it in a way that's interesting because he's running a business. Don has a lot of people helping him out with getting his videos produced like Rose. And he's got to manage all of that. And he's bringing his automation prowess to the table. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk to you about that today, Don. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's uh, it's built up over the years. Um, obviously, when I started off Screencast Online, it was just me. I did everything, basically, you know, the creation of the content and the post-production and the, the website. But over the years, because it's been running now, I think it's been 12 or 13 years now it's been running. Um, obviously, I've brought more people on board because it's, it's, it's doing a show, well, two shows every week. It's quite an ask, really, and it's um, there's, there's a lot of work involved behind the scenes. And obviously, for one person to do that for like 13 years, I'd have gone crazy by now. So, yeah, I've sort of been bringing more people on board and uh, sort of outsourcing some bits of the production process to different people. And, and there needed to be a way of, um, well, automating it to make things standardized, but also to control the, the process flows as the as the various shows go through the different stages of, of production. Of course, you know, we, we've got shows at all different stages of production. So I needed some way to, to sort of automate that and keep track of it. Uh, I was going to say, one of the things that you said, you know, you've built this up over the years. And that, I think that's something that everybody should bear in mind with all automations, isn't it? You know, you don't start day one with with a perfect automation that everything go, well, goes wonderfully. Right. And so it, and it's it's really good to, I find, start with a simpler automation. And then mm-hmm. you, ver- you see very, very quickly how you can enhance upon this and build it up and, and make it do all of these other things for you. But you have to start with one small step. Yeah, that's right. You, you can't, I mean, as we discussed some of the things that I've built up over the years, you know, people might start scratching their heads thinking, well, goodness me, how do you even start? But as you say, you've got to start with just a small bite and then build on top of that. And what I find is as you start automating things, it gives you ideas for other things as well. So you can sort of build on. And then if you're lucky, you can sort of integrate some of that together uh, to build up these these larger workflows. You really have evolved this over the years too, because I remember you've gone through several different platforms and and systems, but it seems like you're you're pretty happy where you're at now. Uh, yeah, I mean, originally we started off um, the the website was based on Rapid Weaver, and that was just something I I sort of cobbled together. But there was a lot of manual input, you know, in creating the shows. Whereas now it's a, sort of like a bespoke platform for the website, so it's it's all built on a SQL database. So we don't actually create the show pages. We we basically fill in templates or automatically now fill in templates. And the information that we put into the system is used to dynamically create the web pages. Um, so, you know, there's there's lots of things, like lots of streamlining like that, whereby where it used to be, <coughs> excuse me, where it used to be manual processes, we've now automated it, uh, even written bespoke code to do some of the more uh, esoteric bits and pieces. Nice. Well, Don, when did you first get interested in automation? 
Well, probably um, back before the screencast online days. I mean, I've been in IT for quite a while. Uh, I used to work for a, a corporate um, IT company and uh, used to be involved in uh, remote support and uh, you know various bits and pieces. So I, I sort of always had an inkling or, or an interest in doing bits of automation um, and the sort of automation for remote s- services as well. In fact, it, it's strange. I mean, going right back to, I used to be tickled by, you know, back in the, before I was into the Mac using, um, you know, MS-DOS and using config.sys and autoexec.bat to do things. And that used to fascinate me. You, know, you, could, you could control your computer by just typing in these little commands into these little files and things would happen. Um, so, you know, it's right back to the early days, really. But I suppose in my work, because when I started work, um, I didn't really work with computers at the time. I was a clerical sort of worker. And then when when IT came in, I, I moved across to the IT field. And I've done various jobs in, in IT, but mainly mainly on remote support and supporting users. Um, and then, of course, trying to create tools or or use tools to to help people out remotely. In fact, going back to, this was probably the 1980s, I think, or, or the 90s. I, I was working for a a government department. Uh, I worked for an outsourcing company who was managing um, uh, sort of remote services for for this government department. And although I didn't write it, one of the one of the guys on my team actually wrote um, a, a, an application which was basically one of the very first versions of peer to peer networking. And we used to ship out software updates using sort of peer to peer transfers, which you know was well before torrents and things. And this, this is going back a, a long time ago. And uh, I used to find that fascinating, you know, that we could ship out software updates and update people's machines and systems um, using all sorts of, of various bits and pieces. But I, I specifically remember this one was really clever in that it used a, a peer-to-peer network so that we, would, we wouldn't we would send it out to everybody. We would send it out to the first layer and it would automatically sort of promulgate down to the layers below that. It was very clever. As I say, I, I didn't write that, but uh, it was my team that was responsible for managing that. That's genius. I remember my the com- the computer my parents had in the eighties. They still had it in the nineties when I when I was a young child. You had to put in multiple floppy disks to start a program and then open your documents. So peer to peer networking was absolutely <laughs> genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was very clever. Yeah, on the original Mac, you used to have your application disk, like you'd have you know Mac write, and then you'd have your files disk. So you'd be swapping them in and out while you were working. Like suddenly, you, like if you use a font or something, it would go back in. You have to swap the disk back out before you went back to save your file. Yeah, see, that was that was before my day. That because I I was very I was quite late to the Mac really because I only started using the Mac in like uh, two thousand and five, I think it was. So I, I was when the first Mac Mini came out. Um, yeah. That was when I first started using the Mac. So before then, I was always a PC guy, sort of Windows and Windows NT uh, and some Unix as well because I did work on Unix platforms in my corporate job. That Mac Mini brought in a lot of Mac curious people, right? You know, it really did. Yeah, it really did. It was a great machine. Um, it still is a great machine, obviously. But that very first one, um, you know, it, it brought so many people into the Mac platform. It's uh, incredible, really. You were talking about old automation. It reminded me. I think it was the late '80s or early '90s. Uh, I was working for a firm that did had you know Windows, of course. They didn't have Macs and. But I wrote all of my templates out in Word Basic. Do you remember that language? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Microsoft Word had its own basic interpreter, and I would write templates and things into it and create uh, menu items. I thought I thought I was very clever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, 
don't forget in those days it was so new to us then you know that was uh, yeah. to to be able to control these things was it was a real buzz it still is a buzz now but in those days you know it was uh, it was something else that we we never really experienced before yeah so um you know what are some of the things that you've seen change in automation over the years since you've been doing it this long um i suppose i mean the number of sort of uh, web-based platforms, I suppose. In, in the early days, everything was done on the machine. You know, all the automation yeah. was done on the machine using scripts and, and whatever. But uh, I've noticed, especially the past four or five years, there's been a, a lot more web-based services that allow you to uh, remotely integrate with uh, with other services or with with files or folders on your on your machine or you know just there's just lots of glue there now that never was there before so you know you're not really limited just to your machine or your local environment uh, with some of these web-based services you can you can do a, a ton more yeah we 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 covered that on the show but we're working on getting more coverage of that because it is such an interesting thing by choosing certain platforms and you've done that we're going to talk about that later in the show you open yourself up to web-based automation, which in some ways can be better than the automation you do on your your local machine. Well, it is really because uh, most of these services, in fact, all of these services, they're all you know twenty four seven operations. Um, they all use you know fancy things like web hooks or, or polling. Um, not just your local machine, but you know we'll talk later. I use Airtable a lot. We have a lot of data in Airtable, and I use Zapier to go ahead and extract information from her table and put it somewhere else. And that's all sort of polling on a regular basis. So, you know, it's, it's unattended automation. You don't have to run any scripts or anything. You can just sort of leave it running in the background. And when something happens, the automation will kick off and and do what you want it to do. So, yeah, the, the web services, I think, are definitely uh, a, a, a real boon these days. Yeah, well, the alternative to a web service, of course, is, I mean, you could, say, get a $5 a month server on Linode and write your own scripts and have it do everything. But then you have to get a server, maintain a server, write all the scripts, yeah. maintain all the scripts, and you have to make sure everything works all the time. Whereas if you outsource to something like Zapier, well, they've done most of the hard work for you. And maybe these services aren't the cheapest, but in your case, you're running a business. So A, it's a business mm-hmm. expense, and B, it must save you so much energy from fixing all those things that didn't run quite right because it wasn't automated. Yes, that, that's right. And also if it, if a platform takes off, it becomes successful, then, you know, software developers then start to, you, you don't have to do the integration. They will do the integration for you and just use the APIs and things that they develop. So, you know, the bigger the, fl- the platform gets, the more popular, um, the more common applications you start to see on, on those platforms. Um, and that's the case with Zapier. You know, there's, there's, hundreds if not thousands of applications and services that you can automate using that as a glue between them. Yeah, and you don't have to, you know, you can't kid yourself about these things. These are web services. Like I I do a lot of work in Airtable and recently I was working on a large database in Airtable and it was just so slow. I was, I was moving between fields and I realized I was using the Mac app, the Airtable app. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I went over to the web version and it was super snappy. You know, it's like, oh yeah, what am I doing? This is a web app. I have to treat it like a web app. Just use it in the web. Yeah, um, that, that's definitely. And also in a lot of the, um, you know, when I'm writing procedures for people to follow things in web apps, uh, I, to follow things in Airtable, you know, I'll actually put the URL of the Airtable uh, table so that they can just click on a link and go straight to that table. And yeah. it's very rarely that I actually use the, the, Mac, the Mac app for Airtable now. I use it solely as a, as a web-based platform. Yeah, me too. I, I've switched. So I, I have been previously been using the iOS and the Mac apps um, for for capture of certain things into Airtable basis, but I've switched 
to doing all of that with drafts and some custom draft sections that save things into Airtable or um, shortcuts because it's faster uh, because it's using their API. Uh, I get a native experience. And of course, you know, I I then don't have to have Airtable open. And most of these mm-hmm. web applications, which are also a Mac app, uh, that's a Mac app in air quotes because it's it's yeah. Yeah. it's not written for your Mac. It is just a web wrapper. So it, it won't work offline, for example. And that's that is the downside to things like this. You know, it won't mm-hmm. work offline. Yeah. So if you're on a plane somewhere, then well, you can't check in on Airtable, but you could write everything into drafts and have a have a drafts action, save that to Airtable afterwards. So that's what I do. Yeah, that that is a point. You know, with all these web services, you are dependent on an internet connection. But you know, how often do you not have an internet connection? Well, even on planes nowadays. Well, this, I was going to say, yeah, pretty much when you're traveling. But uh, as you say, on planes now, you can actually get that. So it's uh, it becomes a, a non-issue. Yeah. Yeah. I actually look forward to losing that connection on an airplane. Same here. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I, I find it's yeah. all very well and good until I want to reference some documentation when it turns out I haven't saved it offline, at which point I'm there faced with the option of spending 20 euros for two hours yep. of internet or waiting and figuring out something else to do. <laughs> yeah, or you could read a book. <laughs> well, it's sometimes these things just stick in your head and you really want to read yeah. the drafts documentation on Dropbox integration again. Yeah. I have my hobbies. Everyone has their own. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. So, Don, it sounds like your platforms are, are for automation at this point are the web, but I also know, of course, you do screencasts online. You do a lot of stuff with the Mac, too. Um, are you doing much automation on the Mac side of things? Um, yeah, well, the, the, the most of the automation that we do is in the post-production process. So, basically, um, once we – well – yeah, once we've exported the the video and it's ready to to publish, then there's a whole step, the whole suite of sort of scripts that we run to to take the video to uh, extract the chapters from it, so we can have a chapter list to pop into the the sort of web page. Uh, we do things like uh, we can also um, send subtitles. So the audio track, we 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 extract the audio track programmatically and send that across to Rev. So we use Rev to create the transcripts of the show. Um, and that's all done via a script. So basically the script runs. In fact, it's a single script now. So the single script will sort of take the the video file, uh, strip out the chapters for the chapter list. It will then format the chapter list with asterisks using text. So it will then take the audio and send that across to Rev via Dropbox, and they pick it up automatically in Dropbox, and they will then send back the subtitles in a day or two once that's been done. And then we go in, uh, we create the preview file. So as well as the main file, there's a preview file now, which is normally the first between three and five minutes of the show and then uh, sort of a canned uh, trailer at the end. And that's put together automatically. That's that's We don't do that. That's done by the script. The script will actually create that preview file for us. And then we get the, the, the script will then go ahead and encode the preview file and the master file into four different resolutions so we've got a 1080p and a 720p version of each. And then it will also go in and, and, in fact, that script then finishes then. At that point, we go in and just check everything's run through okay. And then we pass it on to another script, um, which, what, what does that one do? That one then goes ahead and generates the the graphics tiles that we use in social media and on the web page as well. Um, you know, we create graphic files with a, a title and an icon and the duration. That's all done by machine, we, d- we don't do any of that. That's all done automatically. There's also a script that goes ahead and uh, extracts information from Airtable and sends that Airtable information across over to the Screencast Online server, um, injects a, 
a SQL command in there, creates the show page, and that generates the dynamic uh, web show page for the particular show that we're working on. So th- there's lots and lots of little tiny things that are sort of put together in scripts that help us just uh, produce the show in a, in a consistent fashion and, and, of course, try and save us some time as well. Well, I want to unpack that, Don. That's a lot yeah. of information. Uh, so, so, so let's do that right after this. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Bottomless, a product that automates your supply of coffee. But Bottomless isn't just some coffee subscription, sending you coffee whether or not you need it. Nobody needs a new bag exactly every week, right? Instead, Bottomless shifts based on how much coffee you actually use. Sounds like magic, right? But so, how does it work? First, Bottomless sends you a Wi-Fi connected scale with your first coffee order. Once you store the coffee on the scale, Bottomless will be able to track the data, always knowing how much coffee you have and how fast you're going through it. This way, Bottomless will ship you fresh bags to arrive just when you're getting low. In other words, Bottomless is a new system of household automation. No more going to the store over and over or micromanaging subscriptions. And it's effortless. The scale lasts six months on a single charge. Just set it up with Wi-Fi once and then cross coffee off your to-do list for the next year. Now, let's talk about the coffee. You'll have plenty of types to choose from, like espresso, dark roast, fancy single origins, or simple house blends. The best part is the orders are shipped straight from the roasters to you, meaning whichever type you like, it'll always be super fresh. Bottomless is also more efficient at other ways of distributing coffee, so they pass the savings to you by covering free shipping on every order and giving you the scale for free. Of course, Bottomless has a special offer for Automators listeners. When you go to bottomless.com slash automators, you'll get three months of free shipping and your first bag for only $10. That's right, three months of free shipping and your first bag of coffee for only $10 at bottomless.com slash automators. Our thanks to Bottomless for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So Don, one of the things you were saying before we took the break is this this interaction between your Airtable database and your SQL database, mm-hmm. or SQL, depending on what religion you are, um, yeah. and with the Screen Class Online website. Can you explain how that works and, and how it got built? Yeah, sure. I mean... If I was going to start again, I'd probably do everything within the, the, the SQL database within Screencast Online. But it, with a lot of these things, you know, they, they sort of grow organically. So you might sort of be working on one particular uh, aspect and then something else happens and you start working somewhere else. And then, you know, you need to join them together. And that's what happened in this instance. So basically, uh, we have this SQL database which is is a show database. It's got all the information for all the different shows. So it's got like the show number, all the durations, the chapter list, uh, the URLs of where the show lives, uh, the videos, where all the different versions of the videos lives. It's got the show description. It's got the show summary. It's got tags. So basically all that information relating to a single show is held within a SQL database in a table called shows. And Jamie, who is our web developer, has created a system whereby you know, it will use that data in a SQL database to generate the Screencast Online uh, show page. And that includes the video, includes the player, includes all the information that I've just told you about in a nice format. So we don't have to create the show page manually. That's done just extracting the data from the database. And to get the data in, when Jamie uh, originally developed the system, he would he would create a he created a form for us basically. So we would go in and we'd copy and paste between different sources of information, you know, the information required for the show, and we'd just copy that into a form on the website, 
hit submit and that record would be created and then the show page would appear when the publication date came around. And then I started to use Airtable uh, for different things. Um, I really like Airtable. It's a, it's a great tool, very, very easy to use. So rather than sort of learn how to use SQL properly, you know, Airtable's really quick to use and you can just, you know, knock something together very, very quickly. And I ended up pretty much replicating the show's database in Airtable uh, just because it was easier for me to use. And then I thought, well, hang on, I've got this information in in two places now, so why don't I start the information off in Airtable and then transfer it across to the SQL database? And and basically, over time, that's what's happened. So we sort of replicate the same fields, et cetera, that are in the SQL database. And then um, various people add the information to our table as we're building up the show. And then once we're happy and once everything's in there, uh, it's basically just a matter of clicking on a checkbox in our table. Uh, once a record has that checkbox clicked, uh, it goes into a special view. And then we use Zapier to have a look at this view. So it polls this view every five minutes. And if a new record appears in the Airtable view, and it appears because the checkbox is ticked, there is a built-in or there's there's some integration in Zapier that allows you to extract from Airtable and inject into SQL. So it basically does that. So Zapier checks every five minutes. If it sees a new show in Airtable in this view, it will take that information and it will squirt it into SQL. And then at that point, uh, a new show page has been created. And all we need to do then is just go across and just double check that everything's okay. And then when the publication date comes around, uh, it gets publica- it gets published automatically. Now, one of the challenges with Airtable and Zapier is, you know, the number of times you can pull or pull an Airtable record through mm-hmm. Zapier to stick into your web-based automation. Yeah. And we've heard from listeners who hear our show and they're like, hey, I want to do this. But they oftentimes run into the problem that you're solving with that checkbox. Could you explain that just a little bit more? Yeah, as I remember, because <laughs> it's a while since I've done it, but I think I have a view set up, which is basically um, populate this view if this checkbox is checked, um, it creates, but only when it's checked the first time. So in effect, this this view is always empty until you check the checkbox. And then once you've checked the checkbox, the record that you've checked appears in that view. But I think it's it's limited just for the just for 24 hours. Because it's, I think, yeah, that's right. I think the view is if this checkbox is checked um, and the record, and it hasn't been checked or it's only been checked within the last 24 hours, it will appear in the view. So Zapier then checks that view for any new entries in the view. And as soon as it sees a new entry, it, it will fire. But because that is no longer a new entry, once it's fired the first time, it doesn't fire again afterwards. Yeah, that's one of the limitations of Zapier and Airtable when it's watching an Airtable base. And I believe this is uh, limited to the entire base. Um, it will only trigger on the appearance of a record once. Um, and mm-hmm. I, uh, from, from memory, that's global. So it's not just within a view. If it's seen that record once and executed an automation on it, it won't do it again. Um, and I'm guessing this is due to the way that they've set up their architecture. And if somebody who from Zapier is listening and knows that this is wrong, please, please do update me because I know I've had this before where I wanted something from, to go from one view to another view, at which point I would then get on and do my job. Um, and then I was going to ticket and send it to another view and my second view wasn't triggering. 
Um, and I was trying to figure that out. And I talked to the Zapier staff and definitely at the top point in time where I talked to them, it, it was a limitation of, well, you've already had an automation run on, on that Airtable record. Um, the fact that oh, the record right. has changed in between is is beside the point. But um, there there are other ways to get around it. So, for example, I, I, have, I often trigger Zapier by saying, hey, uh, here is a record ID, at which point it can go look up that record and then do something with it, um, which is perhaps a, a good way or a bad way around it. It depends on, on, on how you work. How do you pass the record ID to it? I mean, is it? Well, Zapier has webhooks. Um, and so yeah. what you can do is you can you can set your trigger to be a webhook and then you can uh, get contents of URL and shortcuts and just send it to it. Um, and that's usually what I do. And I just say, hey, um, you know, th- this app should be triggered with this record ID, please. Because um, you can create a formula in Airtable to show your record ID in a column. Uh, so I, I just copy that and send it off. So, so you're pushing a button to to manually send it over. Yeah, yeah, which is not ideal. But at the same time, if I have to manually do do work in that step anyway, then it, it's one more little thing that I need to do. Um, and I try and get these things automated as far as is possible, uh, as our listeners are well aware. But and the, and the benefit of that is, you know, once you it, it's it's a forced process, so it only works when you tell it. Yeah. But then it does everything else for you. It can it can go to multiple web services and do all the extraction and pasting and everything you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the good thing with my sort of setup is that obviously it's not a high volume trigger because we're only creating two shows a week. Uh, or we might have four or five shows if we're sort of producing them in advance. It's not something that's running sort of constant. It is running constantly, but there's the trigger is is very infrequent. Yeah. In fact, sometimes... To be honest, if I'm actually running through the process, rather than wait the five minutes, I'll log on to Zapier and just run the, you know, run the zap manually because it's just <laughs> just that bit quicker, you know, if you want to get on with it. But but normally, yeah, um, don't have too many problems. Sometimes if there's um, a field missing or malformed and it doesn't like it, it will stop. In which case, my quick workaround is just to nip into that view and duplicate the record, check the box so it sees a new record and it'll just run again and then delete that record. But, you know, yeah. that's just a, a little workaround that I do sometimes. Yeah, we're so close on this stuff, you know, <laughs> but sometimes it does take just a little bit of nudging. Oh, yes. So so in general, you're happy with Airtable, though, sounds like. Uh, yeah, I love Airtable. Um, we use it for, for lots of uh, – it's – the nice thing is with Airtable, and the reason why I, I sort of use it is that it's quite easy to let other people ac- get access to it. Yeah. So, you know, I've not got people directly integrating or, or interfacing with the main Screencast Online database because so that's sacrosanct because, you know, that's that's the live database that the, the website uses f- to generate the shows. And, you know, that's where uh, all, all my customers go to, to get the content. Whereas with the, the Airtable database, you know, we can go in there, we can screw things up, we can put things in incorrectly, and it's, it's not customer-facing. So we can get that right in Airtable. And then once we're happy, we can then... Uh, automate and ship across to the to the live database. So it's just like a staging post, really, and it's it's so easy to use. It's 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 really good. I, I'm just right on the hairy edge of becoming a subscriber because they're very generous with their free plan, and mm-hmm. I've got several Airtables I'm sharing with multiple people, Rose included, on one of them or two of them. But the um, I uh, you know I want conditional formatting, and there's some other things I want, and I'm I'm mm. starting to look now at the. The paid plan. I think I'm probably headed that direction. Yeah, I I hit the the limit of records in in the free bases um, quite some time ago. Um, so I, I've I've been paying just 
for their uh, the the one above the base plan, which uh, gives you a lot more records, and that that's keeping me going for now. But I, I can see more Airtable in my future, so I'll, I'll probably end up going up another level. <laughs> well, one of the benefits of of doing Screencast Online is that I I did several shows on Airtable a while ago, and um, included a referral link. So I think I'm still using the um, the proceeds of those referral links to to, to pay for my Airtable. Uh, uh, access but uh, once that runs out i'll definitely be paying for it anyway so well it is a great service and and it's an excellent staging place for automation if you want to do web-based automation because it works mm-hmm. with everything absolutely all right so when you're you're creating this connection between sql and airtable so you're using airtable and zapier those are your key platforms um how mm-hmm. did you come on zapier um, you know, I'm not sure how I, I sort of came across because I use it for lots of different things now. I, I, another big piece of automation that I use Zapier for is the, um, is, is regular social media updates. So when a show gets published, um, I use a buffer. Um, so I integrate between Airtable, Zapier and buffer. Um, so basically again, we put some information into Airtable um, that gets extracted by Zapier and placed into Buffer. And Buffer is a service which will automatically post social media updates for you. So when when a show is published or when a magazine is published, um, so like the tagline of the of the show um, and the, the tile I mentioned before, you know, we, we generate some tiles um, automatically. But basically, we we can then uh, publish that in Facebook, Twitter, uh, I think LinkedIn. So it will publish like two entries on each service the day of publication, and then two or three days later, it will republish them again. Again, all based on extracting information from Airtable using Zapier and then using Zapier to push that information to uh, Buffer. And then Buffer automates the process of publishing to the various social media platforms. So I think that's the, that was the original, I think that was the first thing that I, I came across Zapier for. That's what I wanted to do. And uh, I, I sort of used it to that and then saw that we could do, you know, more things with it. Yeah. Um, how is the trigger work for that automation? It's like, when does uh, Zapier know, okay, now they've published this show, so it's okay to social media share it? Right. I, again, um, yeah, it's, I think it's mainly all used by views. So I have special views that, because each show has a publication date, um, you know, the when a show is published, it will appear in that view. So then Zapier can see that a new record has appeared uh, in that view, and it's on the day that it's it's been published, so it, that will trigger off the automation and extract the relevant pieces of data and send that off to Buffer. And then once Buffer received it, uh, within Buffer you can say when, when this record is set up and publish at a certain time of the day. So, you know, we normally publish things sort of uh, midnight Chicago time. So in Buffer it says 10 o'clock UK time, publish the first tweet, you know, and that gives us time to make sure that everything's worked okay. Yeah. So, you know, we just specify a time within Buffer. And then, uh, again, within Buffer, you can say, you know, three days after the first tweet or something. And, you know, so that goes off three days after that. Yeah. Are you using the the paid Buffer plan for this or are you on one of their free plans? We're using it for th- automators as well. Um, and uh, Yeah, yeah. I think we're on the paid plan, but it's it's not that expensive, actually. It's it's very, very reasonable. As, as far as I can remember, we're on the paid plan anyway. Yeah, I find it very useful for automators because it um, one of our Zapier's apps creates uh, the post in the forums for us. And then, of course, mm-hmm. it tweets that out a couple of days later. And it's really useful just being able to push that into to Buffer and have it just automated and go out so that people can get the link. 
Mm-hmm. And I get, I get again for the. I mentioned that we do a tagline for each show. So um, at the beginning of the tweet or the the Facebook or LinkedIn post, there's normally a, like a short sentence describing what the show is. So I have another automation uh, using Podio this time. Which um, the nice thing with Podio is that you can have um, email sent out on certain days of the week. So I'll get an email pushed out on a Monday that says, "Don't forget to make sure that the next couple of shows have the." social media tag assigned to them. And then a link in there that allows me to click on the link. It opens their table in the correct view that shows all the shows and all the completed taglines. And I just go through and make sure that there's a, if if the standard tagline isn't appropriate or, or could be better, I can edit it within Airtable. And then, you know, when, when the automation kicks off, that tagline is then uh, used in the social media post. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN high-speed, secure, and anonymous VPN services. Get three months for free with a one-year package when you go to expressvpn.com automators. It feels like every time you connect to a stranger's Wi-Fi service, you're rolling the dice. ExpressVPN is a reliable way to ensure that your network data is secure without slowing down your internet speed. If you ever use Wi-Fi at a hotel or a shopping mall, you're sending data over an open network with no encryption. The scary thing is that makes it easy for a hacker to bypass the Wi-Fi security and steal your information. They get your email, then they get your accounts, and then you're dead. They do this by exploiting flaws such as crack, which is a key reinstallation attack. The best way to ensure your data is encrypted and can't be read by hackers is by using ExpressVPN. It's so easy. You just download the app on your computer or your smartphone, and then you use the internet as you normally would. But just click the one button in the application that secures all of your network data. That's all there is to it. ExpressVPN is the fastest and most reliable, and they're recommended as the number one VPN provider by TechRadar and CNET. They take privacy and security to the next level. They even invented a technology called Trusted Server to ensure that VPN servers run from RAM and no data logs are written to the server's hard drive, even by accident. I'm an ExpressVPN subscriber, love the application. I often find myself using Wi-Fi in coffee shops and airports, and I just don't trust them. You never know when there's a malicious nerd somewhere around the room sniffing traffic trying to get at your data. So anytime I'm using Wi-Fi that isn't in my house, I turn on ExpressVPN. It's literally just pressing one button in the application, and then you have the peace of mind of knowing you've got a secure connection. Now, if you want the best in online security and privacy protection, head over to expressvpn.com slash automators. If you go to that website, you get three months free with a one-year package. Protect your internet today with ExpressVPN. That's the service I trust to keep my data safe. Go to expressvpn.com slash automators to get started. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. Don, before we took the break, you started talking about Podio, and that is another thing I know you use a lot to, to run your business and, and automate mm-hmm. things. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, Podio. I don't know if it's called Podio or Podio. I'm not too sure, but I call it Podio. Yeah. It's it's by Citrix, and it's basically um, it's a process. It manages business processes, which sounds a bit fluffy, but it allows you to do so many different things. It's uh, it's really difficult to describe. But 
I'll, I'll try my best. Basically, we have um, we run the show schedule in Podio. So we have like a, a master table that contains all the shows with all the publication dates. And then because we have a, a, a specific process that takes the show through the various stages of um, sort of setting the show up in uh, creating the folder structures within uh, the Mac to receive all the, the files to uh, getting in touch with Apple because we do uh, we have a, a SEO showcase app which allows us to sell individual episodes of the shows so it needs an Apple um, a code from Apple basically for it to sell it within that within that app so that's one process and then you know we 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 then set up a, a record for the uh, guest presenters to uh, know what the file name is going to be. A repository for them to put all the summary information, a repository for them to put the links when they finished recording the file. Uh, so there's, there's sort of like what they call apps within Podio that deal with each stage of the process. Uh, if I just go to the re- like the recording app within Podio, um, basically what happens is we'll send an email off to the presenter um, with a link to the Podio record for them to set up the show. They will open up Podio. They will see what the um, the show references are. So little code code to put in the file name, um, links, places where they can upload the file. So once they finish their recording, they would. There's a thing called statuses in there as well. So they would receive the record. They can change the status to acknowledged, and then I get a notification to, to know that they've opened the record and they've seen it. And then when they start recording, they get to put in. Um, an in-progress status. And again, we can see within Podio, I can see a, a list of all the shows and just look at the status of each show and see at what stage they're at. Um, so they record their show. Uh, basically, they would then you know, edit the show and upload it to Dropbox, at which point they would put the Dropbox link in the Podio record and change the status to ready for review. Uh, JF would then get a, an email saying that status has changed. There is a new show in there for review. You can go into Podio, into the same record. Uh, It downloads it from Dropbox, reviews the file. If there's nothing wrong uh, or if there's no sort of uh, extra annotations or extra narrations need to be done, it's ready to go. He can just move on to the next stage. Or he can send it back to the presenter at that point and change the status to say, you know, uh, changes required. They make the changes, re-upload it, change the status for another review. And then JF okays it, and then it gets passed along to the next process. But as it gets along to the next process, that then creates a new job for the next process, and that might be for a different suite of people, different statuses, uh, you know, different information held within uh, the Podio record. So you can use um, Podio and a thing called Globiflow. Uh, there is an automation built into Podio, but there's a, a separate package uh, called Globiflow, which is again part of the the Podio suite but it just gives you a much richer level of automation uh, and you can go in and do all sorts of uh, weird and wonderful things. Um, to be honest, I only scratch the surface of what you can do, but it's very, very comprehensive and the, the, the amounts of automation you can do. I rely mainly on uh, looking for status changes, sending emails off on those status changes. Um, if fields change, if something gets uploaded, that can trigger an automation to either create a new job or uh, do basically anything. Uh, it's, it's it's very very powerful. We we also work on task lists. So when a job is created, there's also a list of tasks um, with that job, and that's created automatically. So when a job is created, 
So again, going back to the example of the presenter, when the recording job is created, we create a task list as well. And that gets appended to the bottom of the record. So they could, if they wanted to, go through and just check off each task as they've done it. And then when they've finished, click on completed. And Podio will then uh, create a new job for the next stage and pass on and notify the relevant people. It seems like a little bit like Basecamp, but maybe more project management oriented. I'm not really sure. Well, I've used both of them. And I can say Basecamp has got sort of like boards and then you've got messages and chats and stuff in them. But uh, Podio is more like a, a user-friendly database in my experience. Does that tally with what you think, Don? It's very, it's very, it's a, it's sort of like a very structured way of guiding people through a process. Um, so yes, it is a database in that you can, you know, you, you do contain information within there, but it's what you can do with that information. It's, it's sort of like, um, yeah, it, it's sort of like a database with lots of triggers built in so that when things change, things happen. Yeah, whenever I open a record, because of course I'm I'm being assigned certain video records and I, I have to get on and do my part of it, then you, you open it up and it's it's very clear what I need to do because this field is empty, fill it in. This field is empty, fill it in. And then the next field is, well, you need a video link. It's like, okay, well, now I need to go and do the big work. Um, so <laughs> that's the part you can't automate. But uh, Yes, that's unfortunately. <laughs> but it's got nice things whereby, you know, because there are members, uh, it uses a, a concept of workspaces and apps within workspaces. So you assign uh, various members to the to the to to a workspace. And then when you're creating um, a, a template for a Podio record, you can go in and you can, you know, assign people. So you can assign tasks to people and it will... Um, it will automate, you know, what notifications get sent to different people depending on how you've set it up. But so there's that level as well. It's not just, you, you know, that there is a way of uh, sort of linking people with tasks and people with jobs, and it handles that really, really well. And of course, you can customize everything about it. So you've got all of these different form fields that those are things yeah. that you said that you need and that you've created mm -hmm. instead of, you know, well, uh, if everybody can make sure to to put the, the longer video description in this field, which is called field 72, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> much more user friendly than some other things I've run into in the business world. <laughs> and then they... The automation component on it. What was it called again? Orbi something? Um, there's a, it's called Globiflow. Globiflow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've grabbed Flow, a link yeah. and put it in the show notes already, everybody. <laughs> yeah. As I say, there there is some automation built into Podio as it stands, but to do the really clever stuff, um, uh, sort of, you know, looking things up and some conditional aspects, uh, Globiflow is the way to go. I wouldn't really use it without Globiflow, to be honest. You can do so much more with it. Now, how did you come across this product? Um, again, it was just looking for a solution for a problem I had. Um, sure. We've run it for for quite a while now, so it's it. There's a quite a steep learning curve, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was just it was when I first started wanting to um, involve more people in the business and, and looking for ways to control how the process was managed and you know keep keep track, but also use you know have have the process to be a bit more intelligent than just. Uh, sort of filling in a spreadsheet or whatever. I just wanted something that was a bit more interactive and it seemed to fit the bill. Now you're even combining this product with uh, some native Apple apps for your newsletter or your um, art magazine article uh, production. For the magazine, right? yeah, yeah. 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 It's um, yeah, because I've been using Podio to manage the, the video workflow. Um, when we started the magazine, I wanted a, a package to manage the, 
the article creation. So, you know, Podio seemed to be the ideal system. So we've created a separate workspace called Newsletter Production. And in there we have a Podio um, app, which is called Articles. Well, we one called Issues. So all the issues and all the dates for the issues are in, in one app. And then in another app, uh, we have um, all the articles. So basically now when people submit articles, they submit them into Podio. I mean, you have large text fields and you have the same things, lots of status options. So we use Markdown. Uh, basically, the per- the people go in. Or Rose will be doing this as well because Rose is now contributing to the magazine. But basically, she'll go in, search the articles database, in effect, to see whether or not a topic has been covered. If it hasn't, create a new record in there, populates the record with her information, uh, pastes the full article into the body of the Podio record, including all the Markdown formatting. And then when she's finished, taps a status to say ready for review. Again, that goes across to JF and he proofreads it. When he's proofread it, he says completed and that's now ready for inclusion in the magazine. Um, So what we do then is, you know, once we've got all the articles for that week's magazine or that month's magazine, and you can create separate views. So we can just filter out those uh, articles that are for that particular magazine for a single issue. Uh, we can go ahead and do an Excel export because it integrates with Excel or CSV. Uh, we produce an export of that view, which contains all the articles for that particular magazine. And then I've started, to, because Pages still hasn't got uh, proper merge tools, I use Salsa Goyen's uh, data merge tool, which is a fantastic tool. Basically, it will take Excel or CSV or plain text, and you create a template within Pages. So we've created a, a master template for an article page, and then we run it through the the pages uh, the pages data merge tool, and that takes the information from the Excel or CSV file and drops it straight into the pages file, and it's pretty much a matter of just going in then putting those pages together and um, formatting them as we want. Pages is a great page layout tool. We do that, and then once that's finished. We uh, ship that off to uh, another platform called Magcast, which is our publishing platform. Uh, it takes a PDF. We export it as a PDF, and the PDF then goes across to Magcast, and we go in and link the various links within Magcast. And after the end of that process, it's ready to be published. But we also do that with the videos as well, because all the video data for each tutorial is held within Podio. So we can do exactly the same, do an extract, a CSV extract of the video data for that one issue. Um, then we have a template file, which is just basically a page layout with all the uh, the field names in within pages. Do the pages merge data tool bit, create a, it spits out a number of pages documents, which we then assemble, and then they get fitted into the magazine as well. So the bulk of the magazine assembly is is automated. Um, we do go in and do the the page layout manually. Uh, Rob Rob Workman looks after the magazine, so he he actually runs all the stages of assembling the magazine and doing the formatting. Um, but yeah, we we use uh, automation basically to create the every single page within the the uh, the magazine itself. How do you convert the markdown into rich text? Because as far as I'm aware, Pages doesn't support markdown, does it? Um, that is done manually, ah. but we can, there is a, there is another tool. Um, cause yeah, cause Rob can see, you know, how it's been done. There is another tool we use. If we do a text version of the, the magazine as well, which is, um, done within the Magcast platform and they will import, they will allow us to import Microsoft word formatted documents. 
But there is a tool, and the name escapes me. We'll have to put it in the show notes once I go back and find it. But there is a tool that will take the Markdown format and spit it out as a Microsoft Word document, which you can then import into uh, Magcast, and that will do the conversion. But no, you're quite right. It, um, the, the data merge tool just sees it as Markdown, so uh, Rob has to go in and just change the... We don't use extensive Markdown. It's mainly the titles and italics and stuff like that, but that's easy enough to pick up. I'll bear that in mind when writing my articles. <laughs> when i used to do the uh ibooks author books you know that uh, that platform was very picky and very likely to break if you imported formatted text to it it was supposed to you're supposed to be able to write it in pages and just you know block and paste it in Mm. and it would just work and it never did in fact sometimes you'd find at the end that there was some error that was not even visible that was breaking the whole book so uh, I've learned very quickly to write in Markdown and import the text as Markdown, and then I'd have to go in and manually format it in the iBooks author platform if I wanted it to work. Mm-hmm. So I've been there. I have been there. Um, you know, what, something you said quickly, uh, the Salsagoyan scripts, one of my very favorite web pages on the entire internet is macosxautomation.com. And uh, that's where I don't know how this worked because Sal wrote this when he was at Apple. Now he's not there, but it's still on the internet. But it's got some great scripts. Like if you want to use Pages mm-hmm. or any of yeah. the Apple standard apps, um, there's some great automation there. And if you're listening to the show, uh, this is a page that you should have bookmarked. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Sal actually did it. Although he was working for Apple at the time, he did it independently. He got yeah. um, dispensation to do it completely independently so presumably now he's no longer there it's still you know it's an independent web publication yeah but yeah there's a there's a ton of stuff in there that's well worth having a look at one of the first things i did when i heard he was leaving apples i ran in and downloaded everything and then of course (laughs) just in case yeah Yeah. exactly well i probably (laughs) could have emailed him but the uh, but the uh either way it's it's up and i think it's there for the duration so if you're uh if you're interested go check that out there is so much great automation on that page and I have a direct link to the uh, the uh, data merge script that you were talking about in our show notes as well, Don. So if anybody's looking oh, okay. for that specifically, uh, there's a link directly to that one. That's on iWorkAutomation.com, but that is linked from macOSAutomation.com. So macOSAutomation.com, and then you sort of filter out to all of the different areas. It's very good fun. You can easily spend hours getting lost uh, doing playing with Apple Script and. If you if you didn't if you didn't spend hours playing with regular expressions, which a lot of people have already told us that they have as a result of the last show, well, Apple Script that that can be the next couple of weekends for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I just went to the page. I hadn't been there for a while, and as soon as you open up, it's got a picture of Sal. And says, "Welcome to macosxautomation.com. This website is not hosted by Apple Inc." <laughs> uh, the internet makes me happy sometimes. Yes, sometimes. All right. Um, so, so you've got Podio working both on video production and magazine production. Yes. Um, it sounds like that's kind of the backbone of your business. Yeah, pretty is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going through at the minute because we, we just had a slight personnel change, um, and I'm looking to uh, make a few changes in, in the processes. So I'm going to go through and just revamp that. Uh, it, it took quite a while to build it up, but now that I've got sort of a certain level of, of I wouldn't say expertise, but familiarity with it. It seems a lot easier to to manage now. It was quite difficult in the early days, but like most of these things, you know, you, you need to get your head around what the concepts are and get used to some of the commands. Uh, but uh, you're currently going through, or just about to start revamping our our current 
Podio pipeline for a few personnel changes. How friendly is Podio with Zapier? It's okay. Uh, I must admit, that's not one of the integrations that we use a lot, although we do use that for the social media bits as well, I think. when I, uh, Yeah, with a magazine, um, we create a, a social media entries and we take the information rather than from Airtable, we actually take it from Podio. So it is possible, um, but that only runs once a month and it's been a while since I've set that up. But uh, no, it seems it seems to work fine. It seems to work fine. I confess I have been playing with Podio and its automations so that I can have my own Airtable base of the different things that I need to do for Screencast Online because, of course, I have video ideas and I have article ideas and all sorts of things and I want somewhere to store them. Um, and right. so I, I've been playing with that. And uh, Zapier has a very good integration because what you can do is you can have it triggered based on an item being updated, um, but also you can look up an item and get a lot more information. So, for example, when whenever I get a recording assigned to me, I can go back and look up the show record and, and get even more information if I want or need it. Um, and Integromat also has support, um, which is an uh, alternative to Zapier. And uh, they ha- they seem to have all the same options and possibly even a few more. I haven't really dug into that yet. Uh, I can see we need to uh, get our heads together on some of this, uh, yes. this podio stuff. <laughs> well, I, I, all I can Excellent. say is uh, if, if you're looking for something to try and do something in Zapier and for some reason, you know, that, that's not there, A, ask their support. Their support are very helpful and, and very speedy. Um, so, you know, that's always worth talking to them because they often have uh, workarounds for these things. Uh, but if they mm-hmm. don't have it, try Integromat because Integromat is something I've been playing with. We may have to do a future show on this one, David. Uh, okay. I know you're still getting over Zapier but, and regular expressions, but uh, Integromat may be in our future because uh, that can that can branch and do all sorts of things, including in their free plan. So, uh, yes, there's lots of options there. Well, you know, it's it's really great that, you know, you can run a business like this. I mean, it's a relatively small business, but you've got a yeah, team yeah. and you've got mm-hmm. things happening and you don't want to depend on humans to update, you know, spreadsheets and push these buttons why not have it automatically done for you and uh i'm all for that yeah it just takes the, the sort of like the overhead of the, the management overhead you know you can sort of um it takes some of the stress away as well and also i mean the standard thing with with automation is you know consistency um and re- repeatability you know once you've set it up uh, it should just run itself basically so that's that's yeah. the that's the main aim one of the downsides of all this, though, is is the subscription fatigue. You do, like, these services are great about giving you samples, but mm-hmm. when you want to get in a little deeper to make the automation really work, you're going to have to subscribe to a bunch of them. I'm, I'm dealing with that with the Mac Power users right now. We have a, a, a newsletter that goes out with every episode, but I'm cheap. I just signed up for the basic <laughs> um, plan with uh, MailChimp, but to to schedule or automate sending that, um, I have to start paying the money. And, you know, and right now I'm like the guy on Lost where I have to go to the computer and type in the codes at a certain time to keep the planet, you know, <laughs> uh, if I want the newsletter to go out. And if I want that to be automated, I have to pay. So I, I, I was just telling uh, Stephen the other day, I just have to suck it up and pay for this because <laughs> it's, it's, it's madness. Well, I always say it's the cost of doing business sometimes. Yeah, you know, it it's, it's different it if, it's, if it's something that you're doing – um, as a as a hobby, or if it's yeah. something that you're doing for your own personal interest, well, yeah, it becomes difficult. But as soon as it starts to save you money, or as soon as it yeah. starts to make the business better, yeah. um, you know, it's 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 a no brainer at that point. 
Yes, definitely. And also uh, for people who are looking at using these tools for personal uh, things, do check to see if maybe there are business uses for it as well, because if you can primarily use it for the business and it happens to have a personal automation alongside, check with your accountant, but that could be a business That's expense. That's good. Um, so. That was the tax corner of the automators. Yeah, well, <laughs> put it this way. Uh, I would say 19 out of 20 of my Zap, Zapier apps are indeed business ones. Now, I need to double check with my accountant whether or not this will count for me as a business expenditure, but I'm pretty certain they're going to say yes, because I could always mm-hmm. turn off my my 20th sap and figure out how to do it with Integromat. <laughs> well, I, I, what is your 20th, though? I want to know what you're using it for that's not business. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm playing with some toggle timers, which technically I could probably count as business, but these particular ones are for Nintendo Switch uh, playing and yeah. <laughs> uh, stuff, so you probably can't count it as a business expense. If you look at it purely from a time-tracking perspective, it totally is. So, <laughs> no, so, so if next week we find out Rose... Rosemary Orchard has a gaming podcast. We'll know why. (laughs) (laughs) I think I might have some competition in that area. This episode of Automators is brought to you by FreshBooks. Hey, freelancers, do you want to save 192 hours? Our friends at FreshBooks can help you do just that with their super simple cloud accounting software. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people deal with their paperwork. The new notification center is like your personal assistant. You'll always know what's changed in your business since you last logged in and what needs to be dealt with next. And when you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can show you whether or not they've seen it, which puts an end to the guessing games. If you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it. FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of Automators. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash automators and enter automators in the how do you hear about us section. We thank FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Don. So we've been going pretty deep on web services and, and pretty advanced automations for your business. I thought it'd be fun to finish the show just kind of talking about some of your, your favorite simple automations you use just to get through your day. Uh, yeah, uh, again, it's all related to the business, I suppose. Sure. Um, I, I know we had a, a bit of a discussion sort of pre podcast about, you know, possibly discussing some iOS automations, but uh, to be honest, I, I haven't really got into iOS shortcuts. I know I should have probably, sure. but I just, uh, I've, I've not really, although I use uh, my iPhone and my iPad constantly. Um, I find that for some reason, I just haven't found many use cases for the automations on iOS, which well, is... Uh, well, now's the time to get on board, man. They did a great yeah. job with the update, so yeah, try it out. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely have to try it again. But let's let's talk about some Mac, some of my favorite Mac um, automations then. There's, a, there's an application I use called Post Haste, which is a very simple application. It's uh, intended really for video editors. And basically, it allows you to... Um, create a template, a file structure template. So again, you know, if we're looking at um, uh, creating uh, automated production processes, whenever we create a show project, there's a a strict uh, folder hierarchy, a a strict folder structure that needs to be in place so that scripts know where to go to to find various elements. And uh, post-haste is this great free application uh, you basically set up a template, and uh, when you want to create a set of folders for a project, you just run 
post haste. You put in some parameters, hit the button, and it will generate this beautiful folder hierarchy um, based on the parameters that you've put into the application. So well, we do that again for the magazine and for the shows as well. You know, creates uh, multiple layers of uh, folders. Um, it will rename the folders based on the parameters you put in. If you've got certain files that you want to be included within a folder, you can put those into the template as well. So it will uh, generate copies of those files. And I just found it really, really useful. So we use that a lot, setting up shows and setting up um, the, the magazine issues. That seems almost like just an Apple script. Um, it could be, but it just it's, it's just so simple to use. It just takes away yeah. the pain of writing the Apple script. Like, Because I, I, to yeah. be honest, I always find managing files and folders with Apple script is a huge pain. Um, it's, it's, that's the least intuitive part of Apple script, you know, how, how you manage and create folders and data yeah. files. So, but this is great. You, you basically, and you can set up multiple templates. So I have one for, um, a video project. I have one for a magazine project. It provides some for motion graphics templates and video editing, video editing templates and all stuff like that. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll patch it to the link for that one. It's by ProMedia Tools. It's an initially or primarily a video uh, editor's tool, but it's it's great if you find yourself wanting to create up multiple folder structures and want them to be all uh, identical. Yeah, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of people that could use this because if you have any type of project-based work yeah. and you make a set of folders every time you take on a new project, mm-hmm. this automates that. Yeah, yeah, and as I say, you can you can embed within template um, copies of files as well. So, for instance, um, like we have some, um, as I mentioned before, we create the preview files. Um, I should really write the script so they come from a central place, but it was easier at the time just to have this uh, end stub of a preview file within a certain folder, so it can go away and pull it out of that folder, and it it just does it basically once the template's set up, it will it will recreate the folder structure for you wherever you want. Nice. That's really useful. I've done something similar with Keyboard Maestro, but I don't have any of the parameters and so on set up. It's basically uh, create this folder with these three subfolders in this mm-hmm. upper folder. And that's as far as, as complex as I've got. Um, Keyboard Maestro is, of course, a great tool, but it's maybe not designed for something like this, whereas it sounds like post-haste can, uh, can really you know go the distance there. Yeah, I mean, all I've, all I've done, I mean, uh, basically, if I'm creating a, a folder structure for... Um, a video tutorial. Uh, basically, there's the full show number, which I put in. There's a thing called uh, the file title and the file code. Now, the file code is just a random number of digits that we put into the file name so that um, it, it, for security more than anything else. But basically, once I've put those three um, two parameters in, it will go away and it will rename the folders based on the, sh- the show number as well. And it will use the file code to, to generate some some other uh, static files within the folder structure. Oh, so there's also a thing called a key file as well, which I use in the script to uh, pass information across to the script. And it will generate a, a key file, which is comprised of um, the, the show number, the file code, and some other parameters that uh, are available. So you can get some quite complex and quite sophisticated folder structures with lots of information built into them uh, just using this single tool. Yeah, like Rose, I do this with a keyboard master script, but looking through this, there are things happening with this app that I am not doing with keyboard maestro. So mm-hmm. I'm going to have to check into this. Um, <laughs> another one you've got on your list, Don, and it's one of my favorite Mac apps, as silly as it sounds, is TechSoap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I use TechSoap all the time, all the time. I use it in two ways as well. I, I'll use it sort of day-to-day. If I just want to process some text, I'll I'll copy the text and paste it into to um, TechSoap, and that that works really well. And use either 
uh, the built-in cleaners or, or create a, a quick cleaner. Um, but I also use it uh, via Apple Script. So within the the production scripts that we have, there are certain files. There's a HTML file that needs some code stripping out or some code replacing. There's the chapter files that we have. They come out just as as pure text, and I I want the chapter files or the chapter names to have an asterisk at the beginning so I can insert it into some markdown documents. We've got a little custom cleaner that does that. Uh, and these can all be called from, from Apple scripts um, using the, the API. That's very simple to use. So yeah, TechSoap is a, is a huge boon to me. I, I use it an awful lot. Yeah, I met the developer of TechSoap years ago, I think at Macworld. Mm-hmm. I forget yeah, the, I, I did as well, actually. Yeah, I forget yeah. the guy's name, but the uh, basically he has a mission in life, right? He, it's a single developer application, and all he does is find ways to manipulate text on your Mac. That's all he does with this app. Mm-hmm. But any way you can think of to manipulate text, he's probably figured it out, and he's built in automation. I just saw, too, this is also available on Setup. So if you're a Setup subscriber, Very you true. can get it for free. Just, well, you're paying for Setup. But the um, there's just, honestly, if you work with text, there's no reason not to. Have you ever done that thing where you drag text off the Internet and you paste it? And it's got a whole bunch of code in there that you didn't want. Yeah, just Text strip it out. like one button, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, oh, it's a guy called Mark Mark Cohen. Uh, Mark, I remember meeting. Yes. Uh, yeah, I remember meeting yes. him at WWC. Actually, it was it was very helpful to me as well when I first started using it because I uh, struggled a little bit, and um, he he was kind enough to write a couple of custom um, cleaners for me, which was great. So he's, he's a good guy. But, I, yeah, I always no, have a soft yeah. I always have a soft spot for those small developers, but I mean. He also just makes it's a killer app. I mean, it really does the job. Yes, yeah, it's a brilliant application. In fact, we covered it quite recently on Screencast Online. So there is a, a Screencast Online tutorial kicking around for for Texo. If you could give us a link, we'll put that in the show. Yeah, notes. sure, no problem, yeah. no problem. There's also an iOS app which is very similar. It's nowhere near as powerful as TextSoap, but um, it's called Text Case, um, and as the name implies, yeah. it is mostly for fixing the case of text. But if people are looking for an iOS alternative, I use this one all the time, um, and it's it's very useful. And Text Case is shortcuts friendly, so yes, that's another that's another good for automation. Yeah. It doesn't have Apple Script support because it's on iOS, but it does have shortcut yeah. support. So automate all of the text. <laughs> and he must be doing a lot with regular expressions. And if you're curious about those, <laughs> yeah, we did. We just did, we did a show, show on that. Yes. Uh, Don, what, what's the automation white whale in your life? What's the thing you'd like to automate that you can't seem to get to? Um, ooh, that's a, that's a, I know, I just dropped that one on you. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest, most things are automatable. It's, it's yeah. just the, the the level of effort required to do it. I, I wish it was better at Apple Script. I mean, I I don't use Apple Script a lot, but the scripts that we have are written in Apple Script. I find I'm not one of these people who um, s- sort of know the ins and outs of it. If if I wanted to do something, I'm one of these that will go away to the internet and search yeah. and, and find out if someone else has done it and how they've done it and try and understand how they've done it and then sort of turn it around that way. So... Yeah, another thing that surprises me as far as, although it's not strictly, well, it is automation, I suppose, but home automation. Uh, in the early days when I was a lot younger, I, I was I was longing for the days when we'd be able to have home automation. And uh, I, I literally haven't done anything with home automation other than buy a couple of Hue bulbs. And that really surprises me because it was something yeah. I was really looking to in the future. 
and now the future is here and we can do an awful lot with home automation. I just sort of haven't settled down and uh, and got to grips with it. So, yeah, I, I probably want to think a bit more about doing some some home automation stuff rather than sort of Mac or iOS automation. Yeah, I, I've been in a lot of trouble for home automation lately in my house. Yeah, because <laughs> we've we've uh, switched, changed all the switches out to those Lutron Cassetta switches so I can okay. automate anything. And I always had the idea... And and my wife's like, I don't understand. In the middle of the night, sometimes all the lights in the house are turning on. What have you done to our house? You know? <laughs> and literally, the house was lighting up. Like, and what I realized was because I I had a, a little Pico switch in my nightstand, you know, mm-hmm. with the idea like if we hear a strange noise, I press a button, the whole house lights up. Well, that had slipped under something, and then I. Uh, I do. I take eye drops. So when with my eyes closed, the the switch had landed under where I store my drops. So every time I put eye drops in, I would either turn all the lights on in the house or turn them off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh David. Yeah. So it was uh it was a it was an interesting marital conversation, but it, it's all solved now, and I have a new place for that switch. <laughs> That's a good idea. If I can make one recommendation, a piece of HomeKit equipment that's really helped me or home automation has been a a motion sensor, actually. I recently got a Philips Hue motion sensor, and it does more than motion sensing. It it can also detect light levels. And adding that as a condition to scenes of, hey, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, if it's after 5 p.m. and you detect motion and the light level is below, like, I don't know, six lux yeah. or something. I've, I've still yet to figure out exactly what the light levels mean, but I'm working on it. Um, then turn on the lights. Um, and so I'm doing some tweaking at the moment, but the motion sensor has been really good. Also, it's great when you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and just like some dim red lights turn on. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. that, that's been very helpful because then you can see to go to the bathroom and you come back from the bathroom and then the lights just turn off like five minutes later and so good. Yeah, it, it's really nice, Don. I mean, the the stuff they've got now in, in HomeKit, I think it's pretty solid. I mean, I've yeah, yeah, I've adopted it. To me, the uh, the piece of that that still is a question mark is the security camera stuff. Apple announced in June that they're going to have a new system where they're going to store video for you in a safe and secure place, and mm-hmm. it seems like the right solution. But we haven't really heard much about it since then, and that's that's one of the weak points of of HomeKit automation, although there are solutions out there outside of HomeKit. But, yeah, I, I think one of the things that worries me is, is, is family acceptance. That's the, that's, the, that's the big thing, you know, that's, yeah. uh, you need to be careful of. Well, David's trick of uh, replacing the light switches is definitely more family-friendly than replacing the light bulbs yes. because then people will mm-hmm. randomly turn off the lights or they'll turn them on and they'll expect it to turn on, but you've used the Hue feature to not turn the lights back on when they lose power because otherwise when you lose power at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, everybody is very grumpy because all the lights yeah. magically turned on. Uh, it feels like you can't win, but the Apple Store in the UK and and uh, here in Austria as well, I've noticed uh, they relatively recently added some light switches, and they also have plugs as well, um, like sockets that you can replace the ones in your wall with, um, which I think is uh, much more uh, standard user friendly approach because then you don't lose your current functionality; you're just adding ex- more functionality to it. So yeah. okay. And the uh, Lutron stuff in particular, Robert Spivak, who guested on MPU, he's kind of my sensei on all this stuff. Um, he told me, I didn't realize this, Lutron like bought their own uh, radio bandwidth. And oh, as a result, okay. the um, those switches are on a different frequency than most. Mm-hmm. And they, they've just been so rock solid. You do have to add another, you know, hub to your 
your media closet and you have to have, it's one more thing you have to plug in, but man, they are solid. We have them all over the house and they just work. You press the button, the lights come on. It, it feels like it's an actual switch. Okay. Well, yeah. if they were available in Europe, I would probably have some. Unfortunately, they they're not. not. Oh, no, no, they're a US and I believe Canada only thing. A, because you have 110 volts instead of our 220 and uh, B, you have different shaped light switches. Yeah, yours are like tall and skinny, and over here yeah. we tend to have square plates. So, yeah, I, it it really is impressive how well they work, and there was no resistance from the family because we did nothing changed for them. Yeah. They still mm. push a button to turn the lights off and on. In fact, they adopted the automation now. I mean, my wife, when we're driving home from something, I'll always see her opening HomeKit and turning the lights on in the house before we get home. She's doing that as we're driving down oh, the right. freeway. So, I mean, she's in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, you might have convinced me then. I'll, I'll have to look yeah. into it in a bit more detail. Look for yeah. switches. I don't yeah. know what they are over there, but look for We'll switches. get you back next year to talk about your home kit setup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how you make your family crazy yeah. with it. <laughs> Podio and home yeah, Podio and home kit. Yeah. Yes. So whenever somebody submits a new video, all of my lights yeah, turn green. The lights flash, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when JF kicks it back, everything flashes red and a klaxon yeah. goes off. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today. And uh, yes, thank you very much for coming on the show, Don. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and learn all about how Screencast Online is actually secretly automated. So, uh, oh well, that's it's been good. Yeah, it's 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 strange though because it's only when you start talking about it that you sort of realise just how much you, you you know how far the rabbit hole you've gone. And there's there's lots more you know automations that we've got in place as well. But uh, I don't want to blow people's minds too much. Well, it's impressive, and, and it's also impressive, Don, what you've done with Screencast Online. I mean, it started, you said, 13 years ago, helping people get better using this stuff, and you're still doing it, making two videos a week. Everybody go go over and check out Screencast Online. It's a, it's a great resource. The nice thing is it's not just me now. We've got uh, lovely people like Rose doing doing videos as well, so it's, uh, it's a nice mixed bag. Some great presenters on there now. Well, it's great fun producing videos, so uh, thank you. Although I will say that the Liverpool accent sells it, honestly. That's, that's how I get Daisy wants to learn about the Mac. She doesn't want me to teach her. You know, it's a husband-wife thing. You don't want to hear that from your husband, right? Yeah, yeah. She, she loves your accent. So I just say, oh, well, okay. watch, watch Don's video. She, she will watch your video. Just not mine. There we go. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. We are the Automators. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. You can also find our website at automators.fm. You can find Don over at Screencasts Online. We've got a bunch of links in the show notes. Go check them out. Thank you to our sponsors, FreshBooks, ExpressVPN, and Botterless for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. We'll see you in two weeks. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>